1: He had to make that step of faith, and thank God he did. He came to the realization, I'm not of the family of Pharaoh. I'm of the family of faith, and he made some choices. Now, I could do a message on each one of these points on the choices he made, but first he made a choice to sacrifice the riches of Egypt for the riches of heaven, and that was a good choice. Jesus said, listen, Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? You know, you get everything you want in this life, and this life's going to end.
0: Moses came to a point of decision in his journey. On the one hand, he could choose to forget the calling of God, rejoin Pharaoh's Pharaoh's household, and enjoy a life of luxury. Or he could follow God, rejecting that easy life, but instead becoming a leader in the family of faith. Have you come to that place of decision? Will you decide to pursue worldly wealth with the family of this world? Or have you given up the world for the family and kingdom of God? your decisions have big implications. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of The Living Word. To every nation
1: Hebrews chapter 11, and we begin where we left off, verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. We'll learn what that edict was in a moment. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God Rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. A few verses, three main points in those verses. But before we get into it, leave the text, go all the way back to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 1. Now stay alert because i got a few verses to read here, but it's, a, it's an amazing story. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them. They made them slaves to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. And the idea is we'll limit their multiplication. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live, and then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, "Why have you done this? Why, why have you let the boys live?" Now, I love their answer. Get their answer. Listen. The midwives answered Pharaoh: Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. They're tough. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now he's plotting and including his own people to try to get the end that he is intending. Now how in the world would he convince even the Egyptians uh, to throw uh, their baby boys in the Nile? Well, you have to understand that culture. And even though it's hard to relate to, they worship the gods of the Nile. And so he presented this as an act of worship. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. And she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then notice this, verse 7. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter. So, sister of Moses comes out of wherever she was watching what's going to happen. She goes to Pharaoh's daughter and she says, shall I get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She says, yes, great idea. And the girl went and got the baby's mother, and of course, her own mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. What providence of heaven, man, to work out this kind of deal, that mom gets the baby back and gets on the payroll of the palace to take care of her own child. So the woman took the baby and nursed him, and when the child grew older, probably right after he was weaned. She took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Because that's what Moses means, to draw out. So I'll name him to draw out. Story continues, verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, stop there a minute. What did our text say? Moses, when he had grown up. Refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's this part in the story. How old was he? Probably about 40 years old. We know, we'll see in a minute, he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. He spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness with the Israelites. He died at age 120 according to Deuteronomy, so you can easily do the math. He's about 40 years old here. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian. Did you get that? He killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? I can just see Moses' face at that moment. Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Here's what we know about uh, about Moses in that part of the story. He's a macho man. He is a macho man. Acts 7 tells us that Moses was powerful in speech and action. He grew up being known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he's powerful, uh, he's, he knows how to get things done, and he's, he's pretty built, obviously, to do what he does here. When the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked him, why have you returned so early today? And they said, well, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. Now, he's not an Egyptian, but he's been living in Egypt in the palace, grown up, known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So after that long, you, you dress like an Egyptian, uh, you talk like an Egyptian, you, I know, I can't help it, every time I do the story, he, he walked like an Egyptian. I didn't write the story. They said, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And so dad says, where is he? Why did not you leave him? Why, why didn't you bring him home? Something to eat? So they went and got him. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him, get this now, Gershom, saying, I've become an alien in a foreign land. <laughs> I feel sorry for that kid. What a name. It means an alien there because Moses says, I've become an alien. In a foreign land. Moses came to a realization. And here's the realization he came to. When he grew up, he realized, I'm not of the family of Pharaoh. I'm of the family of faith. His parents had faith in the God of Israel. We read the first verse, by faith Moses' parents hid him. They did that by faith in the God of Israel. And God providentially provided for their child because of their faith. Are you with me? But their faith wouldn't get Moses where they're headed. No, Moses had to come to a point in his life where he had to make a decision. He had to make the same decision at whatever point in his parents' life they made to put their faith in the God of Israel. Now, he had to make that step of faith, and thank God he did. He came to the realization, I'm not of the family of Pharaoh. I'm of the family of faith, and he made some choices. Now, I could do a message on each one of these points on the choices he made, but first he made a choice to sacrifice the riches of Egypt for the riches of heaven, and that was a good choice. Jesus said, listen, Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? You know, you get everything you want in this life, and you, this life's going to end. And where are you, what do you got after that? What do you got? So he sacrificed the riches of Egypt, but he also sacrificed uh, in the sense of he suffered. He suffered. He chose to identify himself with a group of people that got him persecuted and suffering in his life. Peter says in First Peter chapter 4, hey, if you're a Christian... Don't you suffer as a murderer, a thief, you know, a meddler, Uh, but if you suffer as a Christian because you're a Christian and that's who you're identified with, hey, don't be ashamed. Praise God, you bear that name. Paul said in Romans 8 verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings aren't even worth comparing with the glories that would be revealed in us. Now, we can spend a lot more time on those, but I felt very led to spend most of my time on this last point. And we read it in the text in Hebrews 11, Moses persevered. Because he saw him who is invisible. He'd never seen God face to face, but he had faith in God through all of his life. After making that initial step of faith and following in the heritage of his family. By the way, by the way, you're here today, your parents, Christians, they're not going to get you into heaven. You, you, by now, you know, you're grown up enough. Now you need to make your own decision. You're going you're gonna to follow where they're headed? I pray you do. And even if you don't have parents who are of the heritage of faith, guess what? You can start a heritage on your own life and for your own family. I mean, you can start today. <laughs> I love it. Abraham started. He left Ur of the Chaldeans. He was a f- pagan idolater. And look at the heritage he's left behind. One of my favorite characters that we'll get to in just a few weeks in Hebrews 11 is Rahab. Remember Rahab, the prostitute? She's there in Jericho. That's where she lives, and she's a prostitute. And when Israel comes into the land, she puts her faith in the God of Israel. She takes that step of faith, and now she is saved, if you will. And what a heritage she's left behind. I'm not going to get off on it right now, but let me just whet your appetite for Rahab in just a few weeks. She becomes a Christian, if you will, and then she ends up joining the people of Israel. She marries a man named Salmon, a great prince in Israel. They have a child, Boaz, who also is a great man, and through their lineage, guess what? Uh, through their lineage, a man named Jesse is born, and then guess who is born to a man named Jesse? A young lad named David. David. Who becomes the greatest king Israel has ever known. And his great, great grandmother is a prostitute named Rahab. What a story. Can't wait to get there. But not today. Moses persevered in faith. What did he persevere through? Well, I'll tell you the first thing he persevered through. And that is tremendous failure. Great failure. He failed. He failed. Acts 7, let me read you just one verse in Acts chapter 7 that gives us uh, new insight added to the story about Moses. Acts chapter 7, verse 25, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. In other words, when he goes out and he kills the Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian, but he, he's got a calling on his life. He knows God's called him to be a deliverer. After he makes that step of faith, he, he believes, okay, God's going to use me now to deliver Israel. But he makes this terrible blunder by trying to deliver them in the arm of the flesh. Because he's grown up in Pharaoh's household. He's powerful in speech and action. And he thinks, well, I'm the guy, you know. I'll go and get it done. But he makes a terrible mistake. Tremendous Failure. I don't know if you've ever really let this sink in. Moses, this great man of the Bible, in trying to do the will of God, thinking he's doing the right thing, he becomes, listen, a murderer. He's a murderer. You talk about failure. If he lived in our day and in this culture, he'd be in the slammer, maybe for the rest of his life. He was a murderer. He failed greatly. You read Exodus and it says when the Hebrew said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? It says Moses was afraid because he now knows somebody else knows he killed the Egyptian. And yet Hebrews 11, we read that when he fled to go to Midian, the desert, he didn't leave because he feared the king's anger. He was afraid because he thought, man, somebody knows, but he didn't run out of fear. So why did he run? I'm going to suggest to you, he ran uh, because he was frustrated and he's disappointed. And I could even put up here, he's probably depressed. What does he name his first child? Even though he's married now, and even though he has his first child, what does he name his first kid? Gershom. I'm an alien in a foreign land. You could, you could paraphrase that another way. You could say, here's what Moses was thinking. Here's his mental and emotional state. Even as a married man having his first child, I am not in the will of God. I am not where God wants me and God intended me to be. And it's my own fault. It's my own fault. He's got to be, he's got to have feelings of depression. But he's exactly where he needs to be for God to deal with him and to deal with his failure. What caused the failure? Well, just simply the flesh. Is it the flesh? It's his own natural thinking and his own ability to do something, and and he failed. It was the flesh. And now on the backside of the desert, here's what God does. For 40 years, he purges the flesh out of Moses. Moses. Forty years, oh God, I pray it don't take that long for us, and yet it's a lifelong process i don't know if you I don't know if you think of the question that I think of forty years of flesh purging, uh, but here's what one of the things I think of why did it take so long? <laughs> God, why did it take so long? And the only thing you can surmise is Moses had a lot of flesh need to be purged. It was thick. Hey, again, he grew up in, in the palace of Pharaoh. He grew up powerful in speech and action. He was, uh, he was a man that was used to giving orders, not taking them. He was a man used to getting his way, okay, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And that's why it took 40 years. But after the 40 years, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, here's what it declares. After that 40-year backside desert flesh-purging experience, here's what it says very simply. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. He's a different man. And after 40 years of flesh purging, Exodus chapter 3. Oh, man. Look at this. Look at this. 40 years later, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. The angel of the Lord, when it says the angel, not an angel, the angel, that's Christ. Before he became the baby and the man Jesus. This is God in the Old Testament. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Let me summarize just the next few verses. God says to Moses, I've seen the misery of my people back in Egypt. And then he says, I'm sending you to deliver them. There's no question in my mind. Moses at that moment when God says, I'm sending you back to Egypt to be my agent, to deliver them. Moses flashed back 40 years at the Egyptian mistreating the Hebrew and he took action and he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And by this time, listen, he knows how much of a failure he was in that act. But now after 40 years on the backside of the desert, most humble man on the face of the earth. And God comes calling again and renews his initial call and says, now, now you're at a point. Now I can use you. Now you can be my instrument. And Moses is so excited, he packs his bags quickly, and he gets on that camel, and he takes off to Egypt. No, 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 no. If you don't know the story, that's not the way it goes, all right? Look, look, look. God says, I'm sending you. Verse 11, chapter 3, Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. That's not good enough for Moses. Verse 13, Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father sent me, and they ask, what's his name? And what shall I tell them? Now, I wouldn't have necessarily liked this answer. I don't know if Moses liked it. I don't think he did, because as we read on, I think you'll get the idea that he didn't like this, but God said to Moses, I am who I am. So if they say, who sent you? You tell them I am. And then you think about that. You go into some people and say, hey, "God sent me to deliver you." Well, what, what's the God? What's your God's name? I am. That's what he says. And then God goes on to encourage Moses and say, "I'm going to show my power, and you can't. You wait and see what all I'm going to do." And then you get to chapter four, and after God encourages Moses, "I'm going to show myself powerful." Moses said, "Well, what if they don't believe me?" Or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? He says, it's a staff. God says, throw it down. He throws it down and it becomes a snake. Moses runs from it. That's what it says. And then God says, after he ran from it, God says, now, grab it by the tail. Right. Huh. But he does, and he grabs it by the tail, and it immediately becomes a staff again.
0: Thanks for joining us today to study the book of Hebrews here on The Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings throughout the Bible at our website, CCF. STPETE.church. Once you're there, just look under the resources tab. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at c-c-f-s-t-p-e-t-e dot church. Again, that email address is info at ccfst p-e-t-e dot church be sure and let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email in addition to that we would love to meet you in person so if you're ever in the St. Petersburg area feel free to join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship Check out our website for service times and all the information you need to join us. We're also live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. You can find out more from our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. But be sure to join Pastor Danny next time for more from the book of Hebrews. Our vision for this ministry is teaching the word, reaching the world, right here on The Living Word.